The phrase is most uh, popular among athletes and really good friends, primarily exists within uh, the younger generation. Uh, it's a phrase that is meant to encourage and hype you up and get you ready to go, get you ready to do uh, what you need to do on the field or on the court. And it's a phrase that was made popular uh, by a guy named Rob Deerdeck, who is a reality TV star and former skateboarder. And the phrase that he coined is, do work. Do work. It's that simple. If you're really hip, if you're really young, and you're really wanting to encourage your buddy, you say, do work, son. You had a son on the end of it. And I remember my coaches uh, in track and basketball, before we got ready to compete, they'd uh, you know, give you a little pat on the butt, and then they'd say, go out there and do some work, son. You do work. It's meant to encourage and hype you up and get you ready to do the impossible. Do work. And that's what I want to do with us today. I want to encourage us. I want to hype us up. I want us to get ready to go out into the world and do some work. And so would you all say it with me? On the count of three, we'll say do work together. One, two, three, do work. Uh, Yes, together. Let's do work together. In fact, look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say do work. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Do work. Yeah. All right. Are you hyped? Are you encouraged? Are you ready to go? Because we are going to be more in 2020. That's what we want to do. We want to do more work in 2020. And last week, Shan kicked off our vision series of where we're going in the year 2020. Uh, Today, I'm going to specifically talk to you about doing more work in the community and why we must go outside these doors to love on our neighborhood and our communities that we live in. And next week, Shan will then talk to you about uh, the way we do that. We need more resources, more time, more money in order to do those things. Uh, But ultimately, We have come up with this vision to do more work in the community with more resources because we want to reach more people. And if you look around this room, there's still empty seats and there are still people outside these walls who are not following Jesus, who do not know what Jesus has done for them on the cross. They do not know how much he loves them. And so we must, church, do more work so that people can understand what Christ has done for them on the cross. I think I've said before that I believe that the church is not just this building. It's not just these four walls that make up the church. It's not the church that I grew up going to in Indiana as a small boy. No, the church is an assembly of people. The church is the people of God. It's not just a place, but it's you and me sent out to uh, tell the world that Jesus has, in fact, resurrected from the grave and that his love for them covers uh, everything, every ounce of their life, everything that has ever gone wrong. That is the purpose of the church. It's not just to gather, but the purpose of the church is to be God's people sent out. And all of our failures and all of our screw-ups, we are sent out to tell the world what Christ has done for them on the cross. You could phrase it like this, we are God's plan A. That's what God has chosen us to be. We are his plan A, we are in fact his plan B and his plan C. And when I read scripture, there is no contingency plan. Jesus has put all the pressure, all the influence on us to take the message of the resurrection of the love of Jesus to the world. We are his plan A, and we must succeed in this purpose and in this mission. But sadly, there are some uh, Christians, there are some people who claim to follow Jesus that have uh, gotten this wrong. And they've made following Jesus more about themselves, rather about the mission of God to tell people what he has done for them on the cross. They've made it about themselves, their own selfish desires. And in the process, they have uh, led many people uh, to pain and to hurt along the way. 
nowadays, I think the church is a bit of a, a cuss word or a swear word in the mouths of society. Well, you go to church, you're a Christian, like, you're just a bunch of judgy McJudgers that don't want me to drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls that do. So I don't want anything to do with you. You just judge me in everything that I do. Or, or they'll say, well, the church, man, they just want your money. They don't care about you. They just want to build these big buildings. They don't really care anything about your life or your family. They just want your money. That's all they want. You go to church, you're just giving them money for nothing. Uh, or they'll say things uh, that, that uh, they'll, they'll say, Christians, they're just hypocrites. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. They, they say one thing, they act all righteous and holy, but then they do another. They don't really believe anything that they teach. About two years ago at the church I served at in Quincy, we would go on Tuesday mornings during the winter and we would serve hot chocolate at the Quincy Center tea station to people going to and from work. And we didn't do it to, you know, be noticed or anything. We just wanted to do something kind for people and let them know that, hey, we love you. We want you to have a good day. We want to warm, warm you up with a cup of hot chocolate. And so we would, that was kind of my go-to move as people walked by, you know, it'd be like, free hot chocolate. And we'd try and just give them a cup of hot chocolate. Well, this one lady was walking past one day, and she walked right past us. You know, we made the offer, free hot chocolate. She walked right past the other side of the street. And about five minutes later, she comes back by, and there's more people around her. So we offer again free hot chocolate. wants nothing to do with us. For a third time, for some reason, she walks back by. This time, she's even closer. And she says just loud enough for us to hear, I'm not taking anything from a bunch of rapists. And that was kind of my reaction. Because my heart broke. Not that I was in shock. My heart broke. Because somebody, somewhere, had said they were a follower of Jesus and had done something horrible to her or a loved one. And that was the impression, that was the attitude that she had about somebody who claims to be a Christ follower. We can be more. We can be different. But we can change the way that people think about God and the way they think about church. In fact, I would say there's too much at stake for us to not take this seriously. There's too much at stake for us to not love more, to do more in the community. In fact, did you know as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have a claim that no other religion has to offer. See, we have a claim that God says that he is love. That's what scripture teaches. That's what the Bible teaches, that God is love. And, and there's no other religion that makes this claim. In fact, you may be here today and maybe you're not sure exactly what you believe about God, but you believe that if there is a God, then that God must be a God of love. That idea came from Christianity. We have common ground there. Yes, we both believe that whatever the God is, that he is a God of love, but that idea that God is love comes from Christianity. That's a uniquely Christian idea, and the Bible, the scriptures, go to great lengths to prove the fact that God is love. He's always been love because of his three-in-one nature, the, the relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And his greatest act in all of history was love embodied on a cross. It was self-sacrifice for us. In fact, there was a New Testament writer, a guy who wrote a letter to a church in the first century named John, and he says this in 1 John chapter 4. He, he says, God is love. Pretty simple, right? Hard to miss that one. God is love, and God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And understand, this is beyond like warm, fuzzy, ooh, I love my girlfriend, I love my boyfriend kind of love. It's so much more than that warm, fuzzy kind of love. The love that God is is cross-shaped. 
It's unconditional love. It's the kind of love that says, I will put the needs of the entire world, the entire human race of everyone that has been and that will come to the earth. I will put my needs above their own, above my own, and I will die for them so that they may live. Again, this belief that God is love is exclusively Christian. For example, let me just give you a quick example. Buddhism does not give you a God of love. Uh, Buddhism says that there's an impersonal God and love is a passion that should be restrained and controlled. Do love and compassion exist within Buddhism? Absolutely. But Buddhism does not give you a God of love. Or how about Islam? Islam does not give you a God of love. Islam believes that Allah is one God, one personhood. He is merciful. He is compassionate. But the point is not a relationship with Allah. Rather, it is submission to Allah. In fact, the very term Muslim means one who is submitted to Allah. I watched a talk not too long ago between a Christian leader and a, imam, a Muslim imam of a mosque. And the imam said to the Christian leader, the biggest difference I have with you is that you believe you can have a personal loving relationship with the God of the universe. See, the idea that God is love is uniquely Christian. And if we remove God from the equation, if we uh, live with a without God worldview, then love is simply a neurochemical process that takes print takes place in the brain. It's meaningless. It has no purpose. It's something that developed over time. It's just a feeling that we have in our bodies, but it's not real. Love's not real. And self-sacrificial love, time out, hold up a second, because that's not only unnatural, that's just stupid according to nature. Because what Jesus gives us is self-sacrificial love, where the ethic of nature is survive in advance. And this is where nature and Jesus actually butt heads. Nature gives us survival of the fittest, and Jesus gives us self-sacrifice of the fittest. Let me, let me try and illustrate it to you with a video. This is a, a video that if you are uh, scared of snakes or if snakes make you squirmy, uh, you'll want to turn your head. Uh, but this is the most exhilarating two minutes. Uh, it's from 2016, and it will prove to us the ethic of nature. Uh, and it is not love, it is not compassion, and it is not mercy. Uh, BBC presents the ethic of nature. There you have it. The ethic of nature in all its glory. And it does not look like self-sacrifice to me. It does not look like love. It does not look like compassion or mercy. It does not give you the strong defends the weak, but rather the strong eats the weak. And thankful our little buddy was able uh, to escape those snakes. But this ethic of nature comes in direct conflict with the way of Jesus. It comes in direct conflict with the ethic of Jesus because the Christian worldview says that God is love, always has been love, his greatest moment was love, and his future for us is love. And doesn't it make sense that if our God is love, that we too should be people of love? If God is love, then we should be people of love because love is our greatest asset. Love is our greatest tool. It's our strongest offense and our strongest defense. Love is how we can show others what Jesus has done for them on the cross. Our love for the community, our love for the world, gives people glimpses of what Jesus has done for them in history. And because God is love, you and I must exist to be people of love. And this is why we have to be more involved in the community. This is why we must do more outside these walls because our love for the community and for our neighborhoods and for the people far from God give them glimpses of what Jesus has done for them. It gives them glimpses of hope and of purpose and of meaning and of love. 
In fact, in the first century, there was a man named Paul who writes a letter to a young minister named Titus. Titus was maybe about my age. And Paul's whole ethic of love was wrapped up in the fact of what Jesus had done for us on the cross. He says he gave his life, Jesus gave his life, self-sacrificial love, to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Why do we do good deeds? Because he gave his life. That's what he did for us. His love for us has uh, allowed us to be totally committed to doing good deeds. See, the greatest Christian minister that has ever lived sees God's sacrificial love on the cross as the reason for why we serve. He's a God of love, so we are a people of love. And understand me, this isn't some marketing strategy. This isn't a way to get more money. In fact, if we take this charge seriously, if we go beyond these walls to do more in the community, it's actually going to cost us more money as we invest money and time and resources into our community. This isn't a way to get money. It's not a marketing strategy. This is about imitating the love of God on the cross so that the world can see how much he's done for them, so that they can get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Because if you and I believe that Jesus is love, If you and I believe that he went to the cross and he died and three days later he resurrected, then everything changes. Your life changes, my life changes, everything changes. In fact, if you want to have fun sometime, do a little research on what has changed since Jesus came to earth because Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. See, before Jesus, compassion was not a virtue. Did compassion exist? Yes. But Jesus made compassion a virtue. See, in the first century, they treated children horribly. In fact, I read one scholar who says that it was actually celebrated to dispose of a child that you had, uh, had care of or had responsibility of. And they did this through a process called exposure. And what they would do is they would take these young kids, they would take them to the garbage heap, to the trash heap, and they would just toss the kids into the the garbage heap and let them be exposed to the elements and exposed to the germs within the trash heap. I mean, and that was celebrated. That's, that's what they did. That's how they treated children uh, until the Christians came along. See, and I believe the Christians remembered that Jesus, their leader, uh, their king, had said, let the little children come to me. And that he said, if anyone wants to be in the kingdom of heaven, he must humble himself like a child. Imagine that. There's a kingdom for kids long before Walt Disney ever thought of that. And so as the Christians began to rescue kids from the trash heaps, people started to realize what was happening as these Christians took them from the trash heaps, they brought them into their family, they adopted them as their own, they raised them, took full responsibility for them. So instead of going to the trash heaps with the kids they no longer wanted, they would go to the door of the Christians and give them the baby. Or they'd go to the monasteries and they'd leave the babies there. And that's how our first orphanages began. Not only that, Jesus elevated the status of women. And that day, if you were a woman, you were property of whatever man owned you. But when Jesus comes along, he gives women dignity and says you're equal in the eyes of God between man and women. You are important. You have a purpose. Jesus elevated the status of women. How about diversity? Diversity, that's a big buzzword today. We like diversity today. That started with Jesus because Jesus says everyone is welcome in my kingdom. Everyone is loved because of what I have done for them. In fact, the Christian religion is more spread out than any other religion in history. All other religions are localized to certain areas of the globe, but Christianity has spread all over the world, and the church in America isn't even, isn't even the biggest church around. Our brothers and sisters in Asia and Africa are exploding with their love for others as they help more and, pe- more, and more people understand what Christ has done for them on the cross. So you've got children, you've got women, you've got diversity, all because of Jesus. But how about the sick, the poor, the outcast? and the weary. 
In the third century, the late 200s, there was uh, this plague that broke out, this epidemic that broke out all over the Mediterranean world called the Plague of Cyprian. It's believed that 5,000 people a day were dying from this plague. And one Dionysus of Alexandria, here's what he says about the plague. He says, the ones who did not follow Christ, the, the, the non-Christians, deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. And they cast them out into the streets when they were half dead and left the dead like refuse unburied. But the Christians, they were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ. And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others and drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. And many who cared for the sick and gave strength to others died themselves, having transferred to themselves their death. I mean, what kind of insanity is that? When everybody's fleeing, what kind of insanity is it for you to run back into the neighborhoods and into the community where people are dying from this epidemic? I'll tell you what kind of insanity is. It's the kind of insanity that remembers Jesus who gave his life for the world. It's the kind of insanity that remembers Jesus saying, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. How about some other uh, early historians who had things to say about the Christians? One uh, emperor, Julian, said this about the Christians in the 300s. He says, the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. It's from the very top. It's from the, the Roman emperor himself. There was an early church theologian named Tertullian who said, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. And finally, there was another man named Aristides whose words continue to echo throughout history when he said, behold how they love one another. If Jesus never came, we have no Mother Teresa. We have no William Wilberforce who uh, set the, the slaves free in England. We have no Martin Luther King who believed that all men were created equal in the eyes of God. We have no hospitals, no orphanages, no Red Cross, no Salvation Army, no International Justice Mission, no YMCA. All these organizations and more were started by people who believed that the love of Jesus on the, Christ, on the cross was worth sharing with the world. Compassion is a Jesus thing, y'all, and we need more of it. Remember Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to Titus? Here's how he concludes that letter. Chapter 3, verse 14. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, and then they will not be unproductive. Look, we want to be God's plan A in the world. We want to take the love of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus to the world. According to Paul, good deeds are the best way to be productive in that mission. We want to be productive in our work to help people find and follow Jesus. So we have to do that outside these walls by going into the community with love and good deeds so that people may see what Jesus has done for them. That's why we can't stay in these seats. That's why we can't get comfortable. That's why we must walk out these doors and be the church every single day of our lives in the way we live. And it's not for you. It's not for me. It's not to make ourselves feel good. It's not to have the biggest church in the city. That's not what this is about. This is about helping people who don't know Jesus did. This is about introducing them to the love of Christ because if we really believe in the resurrection and if we really believe that God is love, we have to do more than come to church one and a half Sundays a month. It's got to become our life. It's got to become our, uh, our lifeblood. We have to be saturated with, overwhelmed by, obsessed over, and all of, captivated by, enthralled with, and overcome by the love of Jesus. So much so that we can't help but share that same kind of love with the world. We can't help but reciprocate it to our community through our deeds. 
In fact, there was one man named Francis of Assisi who is, he wasn't a sissy by any means. Francis of Assisi, he said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. In other words, you can do a whole lot of preaching without ever saying anything. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Or the football coach, Lou Holtz, once observed that when all is said and done, as a rule, more is said and less done. It's easy to talk a big game. It's easy to to say, oh, I know this about this, and I know that about this scripture, and yada, yada, yada. You say all these things, but a lot of times we use that as a mask to prevent doing what we're actually called to do. But what if we were a church that looked for more done and less said? Because so far, all I've done this morning is the easy part. All I've done is do a lot of talking. All I've done is say things about community and about loving others and about compassion, about God is love. Most of the things I said today, a lot of you probably already knew or were at least familiar with. But if we want to be more, we have to learn to do more. We have to learn to go outside these walls and love our community, love our neighbors, and love everyone that we come in contact with. So what's the secret? How do we do it? It's really simple. It's going to blow your mind. Just do work. Just do work. If you want to love your community, if you want to make a difference in the lives of people, if you want to introduce them to Jesus, you just got to do work. It's that simple. The way we love, the way we serve, the way we show honor, the way we show compassion, all of those are works that show people that Jesus is king and what Jesus has done for them. I mean, how influential would it be if we were countercultural in this area? How influential would it be if we didn't just say a lot of things, but we did a lot of things and we loved people the way Christ has loved us? We didn't just say, be warm and well-fed, but we said, here's a meal and a drink of water so that you can actually be warm and well-fed. I mean, would people not notice if every single one of our daily lives existed to point people to Jesus in the way we love them? Not to earn God's grace, but to share God's grace. We can never earn His grace, but we have felt His grace. We've experienced His grace. We've experienced His love and compassion. And so we must now share that with the world. What if we just did work in every area of our lives, in our homes, in our offices, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, so that people could see the love of God working in us? I think that it would disrupt the normal nature of things, and we would be a beacon of light that points people to Jesus. When you came in this morning, there was a sheet of paper on the chair, and this is called the 21 Days to Love More calendar. It takes about 21 days to form a habit, so how awesome would it be if each and every one of us formed a habit of loving our community more? This isn't anything we can force you to do, but it is something we would encourage as a suggestion, as a way to get started loving your community more. Uh, there's, some, there's some easy things on there, like you know, buy coffee for a stranger or tip 100% of the check. Well, one of them says, uh, you know, bake cookies and take them to the police station. Could you imagine if 200 people showed up at the police station with a dozen cookies each? I mean, that would be awesome, right? The way they would know that Jesus loves them. There's another one on there that says, you know, take a coworker to lunch. And I'm really excited for that one because I can't wait for John and Shan to take me to lunch that day. I'm going to let them do that. Well, this is a suggestion, a reminder. Put it on your fridge that you are called to love more. You are called to love the community more. And on the back side of that paper is our outreach calendar for the year. So far, we've got four events. You never know. There may be more on there. I would encourage you to put those in your calendar. Begin planning and praying about how God wants to use you to impact moms in needs, to help a teacher, to, to provide family fun, and to give Christmas presents to people who might not otherwise have them. So begin planning and begin praying about how God can use you to make a difference. Look, we can't do this alone. We need everyone doing their work. We need everyone loving the community more. This isn't something that we do by ourselves. This is something we do together. We do more work 
together. That's what we do to be God's plan A. A couple years ago, my uh, grandfather was in town when I lived in Indiana. And uh, my wife's mom owns a restaurant called Ralph and Ava's, named after her two dogs. And Ralph and Ava's was put on the map because they made this little sandwich called a pretzel melt. It's a pretzel bun with turkey and cheese melted together, dipped in honey mustard. Super simple, but exquisite. It's absolutely delicious. You should make a pretzel melt sometime. We're telling my grandpa about this sandwich, and he's like, oh, I got to try that. So we took my grandpa to have a pretzel melt. And my grandpa's a minister, and he's, he's one of those guys that like, always has a witty, like, clever line for everything. He just, just kind of flows right out of his uh, brain. And so Bailey said, looks at grandpa, and she says, Grandpa, how'd the sandwich taste? And he said, mmm, tastes like more. Tastes like more. But we've already done so much. We've come a long way in the last five years, and from quick math this morning, we realized that we poured up more than $8,000 into our community just last year and impacted probably close to 500 people in our efforts to love the community. And you know what that tastes like to me? Tastes like more. It tastes like God's not done working in us. It tastes like God still wants to use us to go into the community and share his love, uh, his self-sacrificial love on the cross with our world. It tastes like more. It tastes like God isn't finished with us yet and that he is calling us into a divine plan to help people find and follow Jesus. Shane introduced this verse last week. It's kind of our, our verse for this series. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. More than we could ask. More than we could think. We've got big goals for 2020 and I think God wants us to do even more than we could ever dream up for the year. I mean, could you just dream with me for a second? What if we were known as the church who existed to help single moms in Taunton where we support birthright? But what if it went beyond that to not just single moms in Taunton but single moms in the whole state? Well, what if we were known as the church that supplied a whole classroom full of supplies, but what if it wasn't just one classroom, but it was a whole grade? What if it wasn't just a whole grade, but it was a whole school, a whole elementary school? What if it wasn't just a whole school, but a whole school system? And the whole school system of Mansfield had every supply that the students would need that year. What if we were known as the church that eliminates hunger in the county or the church where you could go if you're down on your luck and you need somebody to pay your bills? What if we were known as the church that always provides a safe space for families to come and do fun things and encourage the family ethic together? What if we were known as the church where every needy person, every needy child had a Christmas gift to open on Christmas morning? What if that was our reputation? What if that was what we were known for? What if that was the more God is calling us into? What if, Cross Point, we were more? I think we could do it, and I think God wants to work through us, but we need you. We need everybody working together with their time, with their resources to do more in the community. And we're doing more so that the world may know that God is love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're so humbled by your self-sacrificial love for us on the cross. God, may we never forget what Jesus did for us, what he gave for us. It's a debt we could never pay, but it's a debt he willingly paid. And God, I pray that each of us would remember that and that that would be the fuel that propels us out of these doors, into our communities, into the neighborhood, as we seek to love people more, as we seek as a church to do more in the community than we've ever done. 
God, I pray that you would be with us and that you would do infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. God, we know you're not done working with us. We know that though we've come a long way in the last five years, God, there's still more for us to do. God, I pray that you would fill us up, you would send us out so that we could love more, we could do more work in the community. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.